Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. Today, you'll learn about how a man with advanced ALS who can't move a muscle was able to communicate with his family using his thoughts about a 60-year-old mystery involving the Earth and why it pulsates every 26 seconds, and how cats can learn the names of their fellow cats under the right conditions. Without further ado, let's satisfy some curiosity. All right, Nate, let's say you were only allowed to ask one question today. What would you ask? For someone to help me find my car keys, I haven't seen them in like a week. My car's got like three tickets on it. Yeah, you got to take care of that. Okay, now imagine if asking that one question took you all day and it was a groundbreaking achievement. What would be groundbreaking about asking if anybody's seen your keys? Well, for the first time ever, researchers were able to achieve full communication, sentences even, with a patient who is completely locked in. He's locked in. I'm locked out. Not, Not locked out of his car, Nate. He has locked in syndrome. No muscle control at all. He can't speak. Not even his eyes can move. Boy, that's awful. What's going on there? So he's 34 and has amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Isn't that ALS? Yeah, it's also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. It's scary, but this news makes the future a lot less scary for ALS patients. It could help other locked-in or comatose patients, too. Okay, how do you communicate if you can't move anything? You may not be able to move, but when you're locked in, you still have your brains... Brains. Well, first off, brain is singular, zombie Callie. Secondly, (laughs) how do you communicate with your brain if you can't speak or move? Well, before becoming totally locked in, this patient knew he was losing motor function. So he and his family approached neuroscientists to implant two electrodes directly on his brain in the region that controls movement. The ultimate Bluetooth headset. Yeah. So then the doctors asked him to imagine moving his hands, arms, tongue to see if they could get any clear signals from the implants. But after months of this, they didn't see anything, but they didn't give up. Next, they tried auditory neurofeedback. Auditory neurofeedback, like the brain and sound? Right. Um, Basically, they would play two notes for him. And while the second was playing, they asked him to think about making it higher or lower so it matched the first. And on the first day, he did it. His brain changed the note just by thinking about it? Exactly. And after 12 days of work, he reached the goal of matching the first note. When doctors later asked him how he was doing it, he said he was imagining his eyes moving. Oh, wow. Not even moving, just thinking about moving. Yeah, they were able to adjust the system so that rather than changing the note, he could select yes or no. And with that, they developed a system where he could spell full sentences. Well, what did he say? Uh, Please somebody scratch my nose? (laughs) No, but the first full message, he thanked the researchers. Wow, that's so nice. After that, he started communicating with his family, asking for a massage, some pea soup, and if his son wanted to watch Robin Hood with him. All of that wouldn't be at the top of my list, except maybe the pea soup. How long does all that take? Well, the system was necessarily slow. They would show him groups of letters and ask him if the letter he wanted was in that group. Once he had the right group, he'd pick a letter. He could do about one letter a minute, and across 107 days of spelling, he had an intelligible sentence on 44 of those days. Remember, he's totally locked in, can't move anything. He's just imagining his eyes moving up or down. That's the whole system. It's super slow, and it takes a lot of work on his part and the part of the people helping him. No kidding. One letter a minute. So 
working regular work weeks, two weeks a year vacation. He could type out a book the length of 1984 in about four and a half years. Hey, that's not bad for a guy who can't move a muscle. Right? And while all this is wonderful news, this process started a few years ago, and sadly, his responses have gotten slower and less intelligible over time. Oh, no. See, researchers don't know the reason, but the electrodes are nearing the end of their lifespan. Replacing them is too risky, so they might need to find another clever way to get into his brain. Even so, what a step. It's like communicating with someone beyond the bounds of life as we know it. Absolutely. But importantly, this is just one patient, and the system is far too complex to implement for your average family of a locked-in patient. Of course, there's reason to hope. These patients face big challenges, but we're making strides towards giving them a more fulfilled life. This research means with a ton of work and luck, patients may not have to be locked in. It could also give insights into things like brain-operated prosthetics. If you had been freed from being locked in, what's the first thing you'd say? Probably, I'm back, or is this thing on? (laughs) I think I'd probably just ask for a nice cold glass of root beer. Nothing better. (laughs) Well, the small muscles in my eye say cheers to that. A planet floating in outer space. A strange pulsating sensation coming from that planet every 26 seconds. A mystery that has baffled scientists for 60 years. Sounds like Detective Nate is on the case. Not just on the case, we're going to solve it. Even when you said the top scientists haven't been able to for 60 years? Okay, we'll at least examine the evidence. Carry on, Humphrey Bogart. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) let's first identify what we mean when we say the Earth is pulsating. That pulse is a tiny seismic event that has been registered by seismologists all around the world. Also known as a microseism. That's correct, Detective Callie. This blip was first discovered all the way back in the 1960s by researcher Jack Oliver. He even figured out that the pulse originated from somewhere in maybe the southern or perhaps the equator region of the Atlantic Ocean. But his research was cut short and he didn't have the proper advanced seismology tools to continue looking. Alas, the trail went cold until the 1980s when Gary Holcomb discovered that the pulse was strongest during storms. Only for his work, along with Oliver's, to be swept away under the seismology rug for decades to come. Then a new twist enters the investigation in 2005. Two researchers at the University of Colorado were able to locate the pulse at its origin, the Gulf of Guinea off the western coast of Africa. The plot thickens. Years go by, the pulse continues, and still no answers as to what's causing it. But six years later, grad student Garrett Euler pinpoints it even further to a site called the Bite of Bonnie in Nigeria. And there's something interesting about this site. Besides Bite of Bonnie being a great movie title? Oh, yes. When waves move across the ocean, there's a dash, just a hint of added pressure that runs along the sea floor. But when the waves hit the continental shelf of a given landmass, there's more pressure. Of course there's more pressure there. Then, that added pressure ripples out from the site of impact, something like a seismic pulse. I don't 100% follow your line of thought, detective. Well, here's an analogy. If you and I are both sitting at a table, and I hit the table with my hand, bam, you'll feel the vibration across the surface. No? The area right under my hand is taking the impact, but the pulse of it is still felt on the other end. And there's something about that particular part of the coastline of Nigeria that's resonating, literally, with the Earth. Oh, I get what you're getting at. Sounds like this case has been solved. That's just what this case wants you to think. Oh boy. While many do believe that waves are the cause of this pulse, others believe it comes from something else entirely. Here comes another twist. Volcanoes. Volcanoes? 
A team of scientists in China argue that the source of the pulse is from a volcano on the island of São Tomé, right there in the Bight of Bonny. What would put them on that scent? Not only is the pulse's origin point suspiciously close to the volcano, there's also another part of the world where a microseism like this occurs, the Aso volcano in Japan. Evidence pointing to two different culprits. This is a great mystery indeed. And it doesn't end there. Why am I not surprised? The other lingering question is simple but dramatic. Why is the pulse occurring in this single spot? As we know, there are continental shelves and volcanoes around the world, but none of them are creating the same pulse. And just when we thought we knew it all, will we ever find the answer? No one quite knows right now. Seismologists aren't prioritizing the study at the moment. But surely there must be some importance to it with all of this hullabaloo. Its patterns could be studied to learn more about the interior of the Earth, but as of now, the mystery will remain unsolved. Sounds like Detective Callie and Detective Nate need to take a trip to Bite of Bonnie to see it for themselves. As long as I can bring my trench coat and fedora. The trench coat is fine, but no fedora. Never a fedora. So, Nate, I kind of have an idea about how you feel about cats. Ooh, yeah, I'd say I tolerate cats. I, I like them fine, but I'm mildly allergic to them, so I do try and avoid them. Okay, so that's fair, but you know that I love them. I have my cats, Jack and Sally, yeah, and then my roommate actually has two cats as well. So I was very excited to learn about a new study that shows that cats seem to actually know the names of their cat friends after watching us call them by name. Researchers say that they even seem to know some of our human faces and names. You're telling me that those seemingly disinterested cats are actually listening to every word we say? Exactly. They just look disinterested. Okay, so how do you test something like this? Do they have a little cat lineup like in one of those bank heist movies? <laughs> Not quite. This study included 48 domestic cats in Japan. 19 were cats that lived in private residences with at least three other cats. The remaining 29 lived in these things called cat cafes. Those had other cats and a clientele that would change every day. A cat cafe? Okay, okay, so those are kind of like a typical cafe, only they have a bunch of cats. We actually have one here uh, not too far from us. The customers are welcome to pet and play with the cats while they're there. Not exactly the kind of place you'll find me. No, no, I wouldn't recommend it for you. Uh, researchers took each cat and played audio of their owners saying the name of another cat they lived with four times. Then they'd show the cat a photo on a laptop. Cats working on computers. Sounds like a bad inspirational poster. <laughs> well, I mean, there was no encouraging words on the screen. Half the cats were shown a photo of the cat the owner had been calling, while the other half were shown a photo of a completely different cat. Wait, this actually is sounding like the lineup from a bank heist movie. What's so interesting is that when the photo did not match up with the cat that had been called, the house cat stared at the screen longer. And what does that mean? They say it shows that the cats were expecting to see the cat that was called, and when the photo was different, their expectations were dashed and it left them confused. So they kept looking at the screen to try and figure out what was going on. But what about the cafe cats? They didn't seem bothered at all by the incongruity. And what does that mean? All right, so researchers say it means that cats likely learn the names of their friends by watching third-party interactions, like when we talk to our cats, especially when all the cats are near each other, like when we feed them. Those cafe cats likely don't have close enough interactions with their cat roommates to learn their names. There's just too much going on. Oh, wow. So cats are sounding smarter than I gave them credit for. Exactly. What's even wilder is that they seem to know human names as well. 
Researchers repeated the study with photos of humans the cats lived with and found similar results, especially if it was a household with several humans in it. That's pretty wild. But why would having more humans in the house matter? Uh, the researchers think it's because more humans means more people referring to each other by their names. Oh, so the cats are exposed to the names more often, whereas I don't say my own name aloud when I'm alone, and when I'm with just one person, I rarely need to use their name. Right. It's pretty clear who you're talking to when it's only one person. It's also a really interesting addition to what we know about cats. Previous studies showed that they know their own names, and we also know that cats form bonds with their owners that can be considered affection or love. So if people want to improve their bond with their cat, what should they do? <laughs> Talk to your cat. More communication will improve the relationship, though that's always true. All right. Well, if I ever see Jack and Sally, I'll be sure to say hello, but hopefully through a glass door or a video call or something. I mean, we can get that organized, like, right now. Right now. Nate, do you want me to call you right now? I, nope, we can do a video call right it's, now. It's fine. <laughs> Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. A man with severe ALS who has no control of his muscles, not even his eyes, was recently the first locked-in patient to communicate in full sentences. With the help of electrodes in his brain and a communication system developed by the scientists helping him, he could spell out sentences with his mind at a pace of about a letter a minute. A strange pulse emits from the Earth every 26 seconds, and even after 60 years, scientists still can't exactly discern why. It could be a volcano, it could be waves hitting the continental shelf. Hopefully one day we'll get to the bottom of the mystery of the pulsating Earth. A new study shows that our cats are in fact listening to our conversations. The research suggests that cats not only learn the names of their fellow felines, but their human companions as well. And we really should just set you up with a video call with Jack and Sally. Like, right now. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we would love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. 